0: For the week of July 25th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with 8th District Democratic Congressional Candidate Jason Ritterizer about his recently launched campaign. And then we talk with the strangers, Rich Smith, about the 8th District Town Hall featuring Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal that happened last Saturday. All that plus we have our much needed dose of good news as well as our call to action. My first guest is Jason Ritterizer, who recently declared his candidacy to run as a Democrat for the 8th District congressional seat, a seat currently held by Dave Reichert. When we spoke last week, we had a fairly in-depth discussion about health care, much of which was rendered moot by a Senate vote on Tuesday to open up debate on repealing the ACA rather than just cut the entire segment, because I think it's enormously important uh, to talk about it. I reached out to Jason for a quick comment after the vote happened. So when we spoke uh, during your interview last week. We had kicked things off with a discussion about health care and how at that point it looked as if Senate Leader Mitch McConnell's plan to repeal and replace was going to go down in some form or another. And I'd asked you how you thought the Democrats might lead the way on health care. And then moments before I was set to release this week's show, the Senate voted to proceed on debate with the repeal of the ACA. Uh, It's a very dispiriting moment for Democrats, obviously. But I'll, I'll ask you first how you think the Democrats should best respond right now?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the question. Look, it's a tough day uh, in Washington, D.C. It's clear that uh, the Senate Republicans have ignored the will of the American people. And the bottom line is it is dangerous to play politics with people's health. Um, We're looking at a repeal bill that if it goes through, and to be clear, the the Senate Republicans have voted to open debate on this mystery bill. But if it carries through and passes, 32 million people are going to lose health care. Uh, and the ACA brought health insurance to to people in the 8th District that never had it before, and it's unacceptable that they're going to take that away. I think what Democrats can do to focus uh, on resisting the effort, because the fight's not over yet, uh, the fight needs to be uh, loud, and it needs to be robust, and we need lawmakers on both sides of the aisle to recognize uh, that this is unacceptable. And so I think we need to do three things as Democrats. We need to as much as we possibly can in every moment between now and when this, uh, uh, bill ultimately gets to a vote. If it does, we need to educate. We need to try to bring transparency to the system and we need to bring accountability. Uh, we need to educate people that, uh, there are significant perils of taking away 32 million people's health insurance, many of whom are in the eighth district. The hardest hit counties are going to be, uh, my hometown, Ellensburg, Washington, Kittitas uh, County, Chelan County and Pierce County. Uh, And we need to tell people that uh, their health insurance is on the line here. Uh, Then we need to try to bring transparency to the system. Right now, this is a mystery bill. And it is hard to debate something, uh, a bill, when you don't know what's in it. And so Democrats need to do everything they can to bring transparency. And then we, uh, as Democrats uh, who are not in elected uh, positions, need to make sure those people who are responsible for this type of irresponsible legislation are held accountable. Uh, and it, it's, I think it's really that clear. Uh, one thing is clear to me is uh, that Dave Reichert's going to go along with his party leadership regardless of the damage it'll cause to the 8th District. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm doing to stand up uh, against him and to stand up against this type of irresponsible legislation.
0: You know, in our interview, you uh, asserted that you believed in some form of universal health care. You were agnostic as to how one gets there. But that is something that you believe in. Uh, and that's part of your campaign. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen next. But how do you see the Democrats getting to that place in light of this?
1: Yeah. Well, first thing I think we need to do while we resist and we, while we fight against this type of terrible legislation, we also need to offer fixes. It's clear that the ACA isn't perfect. It's the best system we have right now in our goal to bring universal health care to the American people. Uh, And I think Democrats need to offer some fixes to the ACA where we expand uh, the Medicaid option to those people who are in need. We look at options to expand Medicare, uh, and we need to bring health insurance to those rural communities and to uh, people regardless of their income level. Uh, It is, to me, unacceptable that people in America die of preventable disease because they don't have access to affordable health care. I'm going to do everything I can to change that because uh, that's not what uh, is indicative of the most powerful and most wealthy nation on Earth.
0: Okay, and now, as they say, back to our regularly scheduled interview. On Jason's campaign website, he talks about growing up on the east side of the Cascades in Ellensburg. He put himself through college at UW, working at a hay farm. He currently lives in Issaquah. Given what we know about the diversity of the Eighth District, particularly as it has been redistricted, Jason has presented himself as someone who is uniquely suited to address the many regions of the Eighth District. So I asked him to talk about that a bit. You know, the Eighth District is
2: unique. Uh, it, it is the singular district that that uh, hurdles the the Cascade Mountains, um, and and I do think that's that's why I am uniquely situated. To represent the district, I was born and raised in Ellensburg, Washington. I have family up in Wenatchee. Uh, We vacationed uh, when I was a child up in Chelan. And so I am very familiar with the east side of the state. And then then I've had uh, an opportunity to make my professional life over here in King County uh, and work for the prosecutor's office and transition uh, to civil practice where I represent employees. So, no, I I appreciate that because. I think we need someone representing the 8th District that understands both sides of the state. Uh,
0: And I have a background that allows me to do that. Well, so what was the tipping point for you? What made you decide to throw your hat into the ring now?
2: Uh, Great question. I have always been interested in politics. Uh, Obviously, we, uh, we saw, I think, the worst in politics this last election cycle, yes, we did <laughs> and, and it, you know what 's amazing is that people I think, especially uh on our side of the aisle, have started to rally around the idea that we need to do something and uh I certainly was of that mindset um
0: I have been interested in in politics for a very long time so was this a plan of yours to get to, to get into politics at some point? Is that your long term plan
2: uh yeah. I mean, I think that's fair to say. I, I, I have been, I've followed politics closely. I've been interested in politics for a long time. Uh, it wasn't a mistake that I uh, worked at the prosecutor's office and uh, moved into private practice to uh, get an experience in representing workers. Um, and so I've always been interested uh, in, in politics from the perspective of an observer. Uh, and when I it shifted from, from me uh, getting into politics was when I felt like the 8th District needed a voice and we needed somebody who understands uh, the people who live in the district.
0: And I think we've been underrepresented for a long time. I want to talk about your work as a lawyer. Uh, You're a former deputy prosecutor for King County. I'm curious how that informed that experience there informs your politics. Yeah. You know, the
2: the King County Prosecutor's Office, I think, is a unique prosecutor's office uh, in the country uh, where the focus is on justice and the focus is on Uh, bringing justice to crime victims and protecting the community. Um, The prosecutor's office uh, was a fantastic experience for me. I had an opportunity to go to work with some of the most brilliant people uh, I have ever come across and work hard every day to protect the community, bring justice to crime victims, hold criminals accountable, and feel good about what I was doing. Um, Many of my policy positions have been informed by that experience. I have a, a... unique understanding of uh, laws that surround sexual assault. I worked in the Special Assault Unit. I had an opportunity to work in the Violent Crime Unit. And I think government's role is first and foremost to protect society. Uh, And working
0: at the prosecutor's office helped inform uh, my perspective in that regard. You know, one of my say that that could make somebody a little cynical, seeing the worst in people and and prosecuting these terrible cases. And yet you currently work in private practice, working on behalf of employees who have been wronged by their corporate bosses. So that kind of, it seems seems like a little bit of a flip. Can you walk me through that? You say on your site that uh, you plan on going after corporations and billionaires if you're elected. Um, First of all, would you call yourself anti-corporate? Uh, You know, I haven't thought about it that way. I I would say I uh, will
2: hold corporations and and, uh, uh, millionaires and billionaires responsible to pay their fair share. I I don't think that uh, government is doing its job when we uh, incentivize big corporations uh, with significant tax breaks that are at the, uh, that in turn uh, hurt working families. So. I have made a career uh, in private practice as an employment lawyer in holding those companies accountable uh, to those people that work for those companies. It's a unique experience, and I'm not sure that it's, um, I don't think it's in opposite. I think as a prosecutor, what you're able to do is to advocate for uh, justice. And that's very, very similar to the work I do today, which is to advocate for uh, right over wrong, for justice over injustice, and for working families. And so those, those experiences have, have given me a unique perspective into the struggles that working families uh, see every single day. And I want to bring that same
0: type of fight to Congress. I want to switch over and talk about the environment. Uh, the Trump administration has proven to be one of the most hostile administrations uh, in decades, really, on the environment. This is an issue that is very near and dear to Washingtonians. As you know, even Dave Reichert has uh, occasionally voted for pro-environmental issues. I want to talk about some specifics. Uh, Where do you stand, for example, on shifting over from fossil fuels to renewables?
2: Um, Yeah. One thing about Dave Reichert. Reichert has uh, voted in favor on occasion with uh, the environment, but only when his party allows him to. So (laughs) with that caveat... um, uh, I think, look, before the Trump administration came in, I think we made significant leaps towards going to uh, renewable energy sources. Uh, obviously, in Ellensburg, that's that's a big push. You see the wind turbines outside Ellensburg. Sure. I am uh, a huge advocate of renewable energy sources. Uh, any opportunity we have to pursue those, I'm all in.
0: Carbon tax, carbon caps, things like
2: that? Uh yeah, I mean, I think those are, are worth exploring. Um, I would have to look specifically at the proposal to decide whether or not I'm on board. But um, to the extent it incentivizes renewable energy, that sounds good to me.
0: So I have a couple listener questions. These are people in the district. Excellent. Uh, Joanne M. Cunes would like you to address immigration policy, and that is a that's a very broad question. So I'll just narrow it down by asking your response to how the Trump administration's policies seem to have created an environment of Fear with a lot of immigrant families here yeah, that's right. in this state. Yeah, that's right. Uh, funny you mentioned that. I uh, I had coffee with Noah Purcell yesterday,
2: who uh, led the uh, Washington State's effort uh, in opposition to the Trump administration travel ban, which I think ties right into uh, the immigration issue. Uh, Noah's a, an advocate for Washington. He's solicitor general for the state of Washington, um, and and I I stand, I stand firmly with Bob Ferguson and Noah Purcell's efforts. Um, to it's, combat uh,
0: state attorney general, Bob Ferguson. That's right?
2: exactly right. To combat uh, the Trump administration's attack on, on immigration. But look, we need to have strong borders. There's no question. We don't do that with a wall. We do that with uh, increasing resources for border agents and ensuring that uh, we're stopping the flow of narcotics into the United States and we're stopping illegal immigration. At the same time, we need to incentivize legal immigration Uh, and encourage people to come to America to do uh, their best work. So you're talking about the visa program. That's exactly right. Uh, There's an H-1B visa program. Obviously, um, that's been crucial to businesses in the state of Washington and recruiting talent. Um, But generally on immigration, uh, look, America is a nation of immigrants. Mm -hmm. The idea that we have fallen from that perspective is troubling to me.
0: Where do you stand on the DREAM Act or yeah. issues as sort of a, based around amnesty? Yeah. I
2: um, I don't know why we've gotten away from the idea uh, that we ought to provide an incentive for those people who are here illegally to get in line uh, behind those people who came here legally and pursue citizenship or legal status. The idea that we're going to deport... Uh, illegal immigrants to the tune of 12 million people or whatever the uh, most recent figures are, is a little absurd to me. I am a supporter of the DREAM Act. If you came here through no choice of your own and you were a child uh, in this country, you ought to be able to stay here.
0: Yeah. Chris Petzold, who yes. is, the, uh, she is the leader of uh, Indivisible Washington's 8th District, asked what you would do to ensure a woman's right to choose is protected.
2: Everything. Is my answer to that question. I will do everything. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk to Chris just the other day as well, um, and that's sort of a uh, that's a full stop for me. I mean, I, I believe entirely in a woman's right to choose. I am a supporter of Planned Parenthood, um, and. I don't, I'm not sure I could be more clear about that. No, you can't. Right. So we'll leave it there. <laughs>
0: right. uh, Michael Litz asks, will you pledge to support any Democrat who gets through the primary wholeheartedly and enthusiastically? Yeah. Provided look, it, it's not you. Yeah, I, that's I think right. is what's implied. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Look, I, I expect it to be me. I'd like it to be me. I'm campaigning hard uh, against Dave Reichert. Uh, I think I am uniquely situated to challenge him and to take this district and bring a voice back to the uh, 8th Congressional District. Um, Look, if that's unfortunately not me at the end of the day, of course, I will support uh, whomever is able to run in the general. But look, I fully expect that um, we're working hard. We're putting together a professional campaign team. And I expect to be able to convince people that I have the best chance to beat Dave Reichert in the general.
0: People in this district are extraordinarily committed to flipping this district from red to blue. And you know that. Thank and goodness. so I, I know that yeah. that's where that, that question comes from. There's a lot of passion out there for this. Um, and just following up on that, you know, the Democratic Party is still very split after the 2016 primary yeah. um, The one thing that everybody seems to agree on right now is that they don't like Trump and the GOP, and that is unifying people for the time being, but that only gets you so far. So in your mind as a candidate, how do you go about healing the divide in the party and bringing Democrats together? Sure. We need to have uh,
2: a change in conversation about politics in this country if we're ever going to get anything done. Uh, And I think it is unifying to see a GOP uh, that is set on doing things that are harmful to the middle class. Uh, and I think it is unifying to see uh, a GOP uh, that's trying to take health care away from Americans. Uh, and I think it's unifying to see the response in opposition to that. I think you're right that that only gets us so far. So at the end of the day, at some point, we need to figure out how to come together Uh, and get things done in politics in America. Because I believe uh, that at some point, government needs to work for the people. And if we lose sight of that, um, ultimately, that's a problem for our democracy.
0: Well, nobody wants to go to work to hurt the American people, obviously, and right. that's actually a talking point that's strangely and almost surreally come up in Washington recently, that that would even be something that somebody would have to, to say out loud. Right. Uh, but right. here we are, it's 2017. Right. Um, but in your mind, so what do the Democrats stand for? What do they stand for? I mean, in your mind, sure. what are defining democratic values? Yeah. Look, let me tell you
2: why I'm a Democrat. Um, I'm a Democrat because I believe that government has a role to play in doing good for people, Uh, in lifting people up. I believe firmly that our community does better when we all do better. And I'm a Democrat because I grew up in Ellensburg, Washington, uh, in a low middle class uh, family where my mom stayed home to raise my brother and I. Uh, And my dad was a police officer and we barely made it by. But I felt like I had the world at my fingertips because there was opportunity to go to college. uh, There was opportunity to go to graduate school through government loans. And government gave me and my family that opportunity uh, to take one more step up the ladder. And I'm a Democrat because I want to bring those opportunities to people in this district uh, who count on government to do good and to give them opportunity Uh, to come into the middle class
0: and to reach beyond that. So how does one do that? I mean, when the rubber meets the road, how do you enact policies Mm -hmm. that, like you say, help raise people from the working class into the middle class? And how do you keep people from falling out of the middle class? It's a great question.
2: First of all, we figure out how we define the middle class. And I define the middle class as economic security. Um, An ability to feel like uh, if somebody gets sick, we're not going to lose our house. Uh, If dad can't go to work because he got hurt for a week, we're not going to lose the ability to pay for education. And so I approach that question from the perspective of how do we bring economic security uh, and how do we bring people into the middle class? Um, Part of that is uh, my approach to economics, which is a middle out approach. I think prosperity comes from the middle. And so in Congress, I will do everything I can to uh, advance policies that address our rising housing costs, that address the rising cost of education, that address the skyrocketing cost of childcare, and that ultimately address the, the cost of, of healthcare. Because if we're able to bring policies together that lighten the load on the middle class, we have to at the same time promote policies that bring wages up. The reality is people in the 8th District probably haven't had a pay raise in 10 years, maybe more. And and so we need to address that issue as well.
0: Well, let's shift over and talk about your potential opponent, Dave Reichert. Uh, One of the things that people have taken issue with with Congressman Reichert is his unwillingness to hold town halls. And this is a question that has come up. Uh, He cites safety issues. What is your opinion on town halls?
2: Uh, I think they're critical. Look, I think the role of a congressman is to... Is to listen, is to learn, to help, and then ultimately to lead. And I don't know how you can do the first two without talking to constituents and showing up in the district. Uh, I will absolutely commit to holding town halls if I'm elected.
0: That's music to a lot of people's ears. That's right. And and
2: look, (laughs) and and look, safety concerns can be real, but the reality is there are measures to address those, And, and so. I don't have any concern with the ability to hold town halls. I like Gabby Gifford's response to Dave Reichert, which was, Dave,
0: hold town halls. Uh, and, and, and if anybody can speak authoritatively on the dangers of town halls, it, it, would, be, it would be her. No question. No know. question. Um, you will be faced with occasional hostile constituents. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Yeah. Look, people have a right to be
2: angry. Uh, government's not working for them, and it hasn't worked for them for a long time. And if they want to come to a town hall and express their frustration, as a congressman You get to listen. Uh, And it's your obligation as a congressman, I believe, uh, to figure out why they're angry, uh, to listen to them, uh, to try to help them, uh, and ultimately try to craft policy and laws uh, that will make them uh, satisfied in their government. Look, government's not going to solve everybody's problem. There's no question. But what it ought to do is create a level playing field for every person. And in order to do that, um, I think creating policies that allow people to see government in action, ultimately uh, wins the day.
0: Your first campaign ad came out, uh, and you mentioned that corporations have given Dave Reichert over $116,000 uh, in contributions this year. So you will not be taking corporate contributions.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, it, Dave Reichert is funded by the biggest banks and the biggest corporations uh, in this country. Um, he is bought and paid for by those banks and corporations and those corporations are not from from Washington state and i think that that's problematic um I don't have any interest in being funded by Goldman Sachs. I don't have any interest in being funded by uh, by Dow Chemical. I don't have any interest. And I don't think they have any interest in funding me uh, because I'm the guy that uh, has a background of going after well, them. Well, they're not and holding... anymore, now that you said that. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I have a background of going after them and holding them accountable. And so I don't think that they have any interest in, in, uh, right. in, in my race either.
0: Well, so how do you
2: intend to fundraise? Uh, we intend to fundraise by individual contributions, by going out and convincing people why this is important. Everything is at stake in this election. uh, And really motivating our electorate uh, to contribute to the race and make sure we're competitive.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good way of getting people uh, invested both uh, monetarily and uh, emotionally as well. Um, You mentioned that Reichert has gotten uh, relatively little done during his time in Congress. There, of course, is terrible gridlock in Congress. But how would you go about getting things done? Look, I will talk to anyone uh, who is interested in
2: getting things done that are good for Washington's 8th Congressional District. Even if they're a
0: Republican. Yeah, uh, look, I'll talk to anybody. There is a taboo. It's not like it used to be. Uh, Members of Congress are routinely scolded by members of their own party for talking to somebody across the aisle. Yeah, that's
2: right. But look, if we can't sit down and have a conversation with people, even if we adamantly disagree about their politics and their perspective, um, then I don't think government's doing its job. And so I will talk to anybody who's interested in in uh, creating policies that are good for the people in this district. Um, whether or not we ultimately work together or whether or not we ultimately find common ground, we'll
0: see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you're not doing your job if you're not willing to at least have a conversation. I will mention that Reichardt has won this district pretty handily over the last three elections since the redistricting. Uh, his margin's been in the 60s. That was before Trump came on the scene, of course, but i 'm curious to know how you plan on approaching things differently what we haven 't done as a democratic party is is run someone uh,
2: against Dave Reichert, who understands both sides of the district, uh, and that 's I think where my uh, approach will be. Uh, I think that 's why uh, it 's important that we run somebody against Dave Reichert, who uh, was born and raised in eastern Washington that has uh, worked their entire professional career over here in King County and really understands both sides of the state. Uh, Dave Reichert, is no que- there's no question that he uh, has neglected the east part of the, the east side of the state. Uh, I think he goes over there once a year or so to walk in a rodeo parade or something, and uh, that just doesn't cut it. Uh, you actually have to fundamentally understand the issues that are important to the district uh, in order to represent those uh, those different parts of the district, and that's really, I think, where.
0: Uh, My candidacy stands out. Well, let's talk about how you thread that particular needle, because um, the district did go for Hillary Clinton in 2016. It went for Maria Cantwell previously. So there are moderates and independents out there. The question is, how do you win over those moderate and independent voters who might have voted for Reichert without alienating the progressive voter? Look, I think there's
2: significantly more common ground than we realize uh, when talking to moderates, when talking to independents, and when talking to uh, progressives. There are certain issues, I think, that are hot-button issues. Um, Well, what are some of the commonalities in your mind? uh, Look, I think it's easy to convince people that kicking 23 million people off healthcare is a bad idea. Uh, I think it's easy to convince people that we ought to be creating policies that bring up the middle class, that create economic security, that create jobs, that create an incentive for small businesses to get involved uh, and to start up. Uh, and to thrive. And all of those areas, I think, are common, um, whether you're on the right side of the aisle or the left. The question is, can we have that conversation? And I think you can have a conversation uh, when you fundamentally understand both sides of the district. If you approach it from a perspective of us versus them, or my belief versus your belief, that's a hard way to, to get through to people. And so I intend to approach it, uh, this campaign, and uh, my approach in Congress will be uh, learning and listening about the issues that are important to people and then finding
0: common ground, helping them and then leading. Talk about that a little bit. Are you
2: going out and kind of
0: sitting with people one on one and talking about their concerns?
2: Yes, I am. I, I you know, that's that's uh, one of my favorite Parts of campaigning. Uh, Oh, you're going to do great. It is. It is.
0: (laughs) You're you're tailor-made for this. It is.
2: Yeah, in 06, (laughs) I had an opportunity to work for Congressman Rick Larson up in the 2nd Congressional District. And and part of my job was constituent outreach and and going out and talking to people. And I fell in love with it. I I absolutely love uh, reaching out to people, talking to them about what's important to them, trying to find common ground and fixing a problem. I mean, that's what a lawyer is. A lawyer comes in, especially a a trial lawyer like myself, we come into a situation that's broken. Uh, We try to figure out what happened, and then we try to find common sense solutions to
0: fix the problem. And and that's the exact same approach I intend to take in Congress. So just a couple questions more. Sure. Uh, Because this is a show for and about the Indivisible movement, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, how you see the role of grassroots groups like Indivisible in this current political climate.
2: I am incredibly energized to see uh, the excitement around grassroots efforts and organizations like Indivisible popping up, Swing Left, obviously, is another group out there uh, cultivating fundraising, uh, which is also a part of a grassroots movement. We have them on our show coming up. Oh, excellent. So so I see uh, Indivisible as a critical uh, attribute to the 8th Congressional District. In large part because it will take us reaching out to every single voter and every single household in the 8th Congressional District to make sure that we flip the 8th, to make sure that we bring a voice to the district and we bring uh, some common sense leadership back to to our district. And so I see the opportunity to to partner with Indivisible, to reach out with them, uh, to ask them to go out on, on our behalf and canvas, to ask them to go out on our behalf and, and talk to voters and get to understand the needs all over the state, uh, all over the 8th District. And I
0: really look forward to doing that. Well, you got a lot of Indivisible members listening right now. Uh, How can people get involved with your campaign if they're interested?
2: Uh, We're thrilled to get support. Uh, Our website is jasonritterizer.com. We have opportunities to sign up and volunteer. I will be uh, at the 41st Legislative District uh, Summer Picnic this Saturday, followed by uh, the Town Hall in Auburn that's put on by Indivisible. Well, you will probably see me there. I'm actually seeing the event. Well, fantastic. (laughs) I look forward to that. Uh, We're doing an event with Westside Baby on on Sunday. Um, I'm going to get an opportunity to learn about the important work they're doing in bringing diapers to children that's not currently covered by federal Mm -hmm. funding. Um, And there are going to be a lot of opportunities uh, to reach out in the district. I'll be speaking to the Kittitas County Democrats uh, next Thursday at their meeting, uh, and I would love... Anyone who's interested in our campaign to sign up and, and uh, we'd be in touch.
0: Well, Jason Rederizer, thank you so
2: much for being on the
0: show and best of luck
2: man. Thank you, Stefan Really really a pleasure to talk with you uh, and meet you as well.
0: Time now for this week's call to action. But first, our dose of good news. And uh, I don't want to sugarcoat anything here. As we just talked about at the beginning of last segment, the Senate vote on proceeding on the repeal of health care is one that will have real impact on lots of people around our state and around the country. And rest assured that we will be following all of this closely on the show. But for right now, I would like to see if we can find just a couple of bright spots in this week's news. First, in a surprising show of bipartisanship, the House will vote overwhelmingly for a bill that will put new sanctions on Russia as a punishment for their annexation of Crimea in 2014, as well as for their interference in our election in 2016. Trump continues to assert that there are people who still doubt that that happened, but apparently they don't occupy a seat in the House of Representatives. The bill, when it is enacted and it is expected to sail through the Senate, will severely limit Trump's plans for lifting Russian sanctions. So, good news there. Also, you guys remember John Oliver's piece a few months back on civil forfeiture? Civil forfeiture refers to when police departments seize property after an arrest. And despite a move by Jeff Sessions and the DOJ to allow police to continue taking property before a conviction ever happens, meaning you can have your things taken simply by being arrested, many states are pushing back. Most recently, Connecticut became the 14th state to sign a law that requires a person to be convicted of a crime before their property can be seized. Seems pretty commonsensical, right? Looking over that list and, uh, yeah, I don't uh, see you on there, Washington State. What say you, Olympia? And now for this week's call to action. The Indivisible Guide is saying that despite what has happened in the Senate, we can still win the fight on health care. From now until Wednesday, there's debate on the bill, whatever that bill is. And then Thursday is the so called vote orama, when McConnell will have to roll out whatever the Senate will ultimately be voting on. And then either Thursday or Friday, the final vote will happen. Now, there are two things that we here in Washington need to ask our two Democratic senators to do. the first is to call for a quote point of order against any provision or amendment that breaks the Byrd Rule. So, what is the Byrd Rule? Well, the Byrd Rule stipulates that since the bill is being passed by reconciliation, meaning that McConnell only needs a 50 vote majority, it only can include provisions that affect the federal budget. I have included an article on the Byrd Rule on the website. Second, we need to ask our senators to add as many amendments as possible during the vote a This is known as filibuster by amendment. I have uh, included a link to the Indivisible Guide's outline for all of this. So let's go all in on saving health care. Tens of millions of American lives hang in the balance here, many of whom we know personally. Let's do this. We can do this. And that is this week's call to action. So as I previewed last week, uh, Indivisible Washington's 8th District held a town hall on Saturday, July 22nd, and 8th District Congressman Dave Reichert, as expected, declined to show up. And so stepping in for him was 7th District Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Joining us now to recap the event is The Stranger's Rich Smith. Hello, Rich. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, man. And uh, full disclosure, I actually emceed the event, so I may not be able to be very objective in my commentary. But let's start with the main attraction, uh, Congresswoman Jaya Paul. You have seen her speak at town halls before. What were your overall thoughts about Saturday's appearance?
3: I thought she did a great job. Um, it's kind of commonplace to say that Jaya Paul's a rock star. Commonplace to say that she's an electric speaker, but she really is you know she said she was there because she was concerned about the nation and she wanted to tell the people in the eighth what was going on in Washington DC even though Dave Rucker wouldn't do it and she did focus on um a lot of the policies that she hopes that democrats will uh take up going forward. She talked about college for all. She talked about Medicare for all. She talked about the fight for
0: 15. And that by fight for 15, you mean for the the $15 minimum wage? Yeah.
3: I'm sorry. Yes. Raising the minimum wage. And so uh, I, I felt like she focused on ways that people could get active, get involved and um, really begin the kind of, quote, summer of resistance as um, one of the speakers uh, characterized it.
0: There was a great deal of talk about health care and um, before the Congresswoman spoke, there was an extremely moving talk from a woman who was on the show last week, Julie Negrin. Uh, she suffers from a hereditary condition that has resulted in her having four separate cancers. She relies on the ACA exchange for treatments to keep her alive and Julie Julie has said that if the ACA is repealed, she will refuse further treatment, which would result in her death. It, it's really hard to imagine a, a, a more stark living example of what progressives are fighting for.
3: Right? Yeah. She, she said that if, you know, um, that she was dead anyway. The fact that uh, someone like Julie is put in a position where she is basically damned if she does, damned if she doesn't, um, is, is a heartless position to take uh, you know President Trump saying that you know you know his third best solution is the third best idea is having Obamacare fail not you know um, uh, paying the subsidies and 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 just letting insurers run away so that Democrats can quote-unquote come crawling back when presumably their constituents are just dying because they don't have health care I mean that's a, a artificial man-made crisis and people are going to die as a result of it.
0: Yeah. You know, I've said on the show uh, before that a lot of the things that Trump and his administration do are things that a comic book villain would do. They're almost inexplicable. Um, and speaking of Trump, actually, Jayapal called him out by name for floating up what uh, what I've been referring to as an authoritarian test balloon by looking into whether he can pardon members of his family and himself while also laying the groundwork to fire special prosecutor Robert Mueller. She talked about getting a resolution of inquiry on the House floor, but she said that it's really up to Republicans to do something about Trump. What was your takeaway on that?
3: Yeah, I mean ultimately, um Paul's resolution of intri- uh, inquiry, they, they, she said that she made some news at the town hall and said that she got a hearing um for it. Yeah, whatever the House Judiciary Committee um drums up from that investigation of sessions's contacts with um with the Russians will be fodder for or could be fodder for an, an impeachment impeachment proceedings or articles of impeachment but it's really up to the republicans to start the you know the impeachment process and as long as the republicans are in control of the house then they're not going to do it.
0: And, you know, in that vein, a, a town hall like this, particularly somebody like Jaya Paul, is meant to address how scared and angry a lot of people on the left are feeling about what's going on in Washington and to give them a sense of hope that something is being done on their behalf. Yeah,
3: that, that's another thing. There really is just a kind of moment of catharsis when so much chaos is happening in Washington, D.C. with health care, with Russia, with the, you know, uh, iceberg breaking off of Antarctica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the yeah. size of 10 Madrids or... Uh, Delaware, or, I
0: believe. The state of Delaware was how uh, Americans explained it to themselves.
3: It, yeah. Yes, yes, as a Delaware, right? When you just kind of want someone who's who's at least been to Washington, D.C. to come and tell you what's happening. I mean, right. that, that's how this the government's supposed to work. That's how democracy's supposed to work. And so I think that some people just really felt... Kind of good to be talking from to to a politician (laughs) uh, in their in their own district, considering the which is crazy that their own representative won't talk with them.
0: Well, you've done a column. You started a column uh, that was keeping tabs on what uh, Dave Reichert has done and has not done. Uh, Reichert Watch. Have there been any any, uh, new additions to your ongoing column, Reichert
3: Watch? I, um, he hasn't done anything because the Republicans haven't done anything. <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't <laughs> had the opportunity to vote. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, since he voted for it being easier for people who, to, who suffer from mental health um, issues to get a gun, and, uh, he hasn't done much since then. And for voting no, I on the uh, on the House's healthcare bill um, after voting for it in committee, he hasn't done much. So I haven't added anything to the watch yet. But I will add his failure to show up at this his own town hall um, (laughs) today in in my post in my call. Well,
0: we'll look forward to reading it. Rich Smith, thanks so much, man. Thank you. And that is it for this week's show. I want to let you guys know about some exciting news. I have a brand new website for you to check out. I just launched it. The address is indivisiblepodcast.org. Again, indivisiblepodcast.org. It's easy, right? You will find all the information that we talk about on every show. You will find a searchable back catalog of all the shows that we've done. You will find a little information about yours truly. I want to say a huge and heartfelt thank you to my amazing, incredible, awesome wife, Lori Caldwell, for putting all of that together for me. Um, You rock. Thank you so much. She's, She's amazing, you guys. Seriously. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thanks again to Jason Ritterizer and Rich Smith. And thank you to Lori Caldwell. And thanks to you, as always, for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.